getting straight into the word, we're going to go to 1 Kings 9, verses 1 through 9. So we got some text. So that's the brother Woodward speaking to me. We got a lot of text going. (laughs) And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time, as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hollowed this house, which thou hast built to my name, therefore ever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and wilt thou statues in my judgment. Then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then will I cut off Israel of the land which I have given them. And this house, which I have hallowed for my name, will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. And at this house, which is high, everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss. And they shall say, Why has the Lord done this unto this land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought them all this evil. So the message, the title I have tonight for this message is no more pillars, and that'll make sense in a bit. So let's all pray that God will make our hearts open and that God will anoint us and that God will prune us and that God will change our hearts. Dear Lord God, clean my hands today, O Lord God. Clean my mind, O Lord God, that I might, that I might take your word in, O Lord. I pray, O Lord God, that nothing else affects my heart but you, O Lord God. Anything that happened in my day, O Lord God, anything that happened in the past that I haven't let go of, Lord, let, let it all go away, that your word might, might fill my heart, that your, that your spirit might fill my heart, O Lord God. We want nothing else but you, O Lord God, in this house. We want nothing else but you in this house, O Lord God. So fill this room and love us, O Lord God, and mold us, O Lord God, that whatever happens in this room will be taken out of this building and might affect the world in your wonderful name, in no other name, O Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Praise God. So unless you've been sleeping under a rock, I really feel like we're in a season where God has been 
moving and moving in passionate ways. And there has been there has been sermons that I haven't heard this much passion coming from anyone in a long time. It's just been so powerful and it's a sign of our time right now. You know, there's a world that is distressed by by politics or by 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 what's happening with with this virus. You know, we always mention it, but there's also a side of people that is fed up with the way that the world is going right now, you know, and they're desiring for, for more, for more. And like that, the only way that we're kind of like the world maybe is that we're desiring more, but from God, right? We've been desiring for this move of God that's just been so potent and indescribable. And, and, and you know, we've been preaching about seeking after God and, and not being satisfied with the way that we've been doing things as of recently. And it's just been so powerful. And, and pastors have been leading us in the tabernacle. And those prayer meetings have been powerful. If you haven't been here on, on Friday nights, you really should be because God is doing something so good. So good. So good. So good. But there's an underlying hunger and desire for more. And, and it's not just in this church either, but other churches and other denominations are just hungry for something more. There's, there's a desire for God to be at the center of our lives again. And it's, and it's so good that it's being reflected here in such a powerful way, you know. And if there's just one, one, one little line or phrase that I genuinely feel that could describe this season is that we're letting God move in a way that he's never moved again. So I genuinely feel like to continue this journey of, of where we're kind of going, I want to talk a bit about Solomon and his predecessor, David. And, you know, David was, was a bit of an oddball case. If you talk to Matt Woodward, he loves talking about David and, and talking about the kind of quirks and quirks of his story. But David, in, the, in, the, in, in, in plain sight, was, you know, the son of Jesse. David, David was, was a man after God's own heart. You know, David, in Psalms 55 and 17, it says that every morning, noon, and, and evening I will pray. He was a man of prayer, and wherever God's heart broke is where David's heart broke. And wherever, wherever God's heart was happy, David's heart was happy. And it wasn't pretty, like, like he had that incident with Bathsheba. But even out of Bathsheba grew Solomon. And there was this blessing out of, out of something that, 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 like Justin said, there was, there was a repentance that grew a miracle. And that miracle was Solomon, right? And, and, and so regardless of whatever David did, because David was close to God's heart, everything that he did had God's favor on it, you know? You know, he may have had blood on his hands, but because he was close to God's heart, the next generation had this foundation that was able to prosper and had, this, had all the materials that, that in the end Solomon could use to build his temple with, right? And you know, you can just kind of relate David's life or David's generation to the one prior to ours. You know, the elders of the church have laid down a foundation of not only, not only um, our, our beautiful holiness standards, but, but, but of prayer. And, and in these Friday night prayer meetings, you can't help but hear the elders pray. And you can't help but hear them say they're not, they're not praying. Sometimes they don't even pray for miracles, but they pray, God, just show up in this room. 
and do something that you've never done. And so you hear the, the elders in, in, in their prayers, and it's not their first time praying, and it might have even been the second hour of the day that they've prayed, but they know God. The elders of this church know God, right? They know the heart of God. And in that, we have everything. We have everything because there is a foundation set built on nothing else but knowing God, knowing the beauty of God's presence. And so Solomon, you have this moment where, where it's this transfer of power, where, where, where it's, it's time to swap generations, you know, where, where, where David is, is set to move on and God is right there beside him. And David says, hey, you know, I want to do one more thing before, before I perish. Can I build your temple? And he says, no, you have too much blood on your hands. But that doesn't mean that I still won't bless you because you loved me, right? And you knew me. And so, and so through all of the victories that David and God had fought with, you know, the ones that were anointed and blessed and all these moments grew all these relationships with other kings where they were giving David all of these materials to build a temple. And, and in the end, it wasn't in vain, you know, this, I guess, you, you know, you can picture David going both ways, you know, maybe he was like, dang it. Or maybe he was, you know, I did everything I could do. I did everything I could do. And you know what? It was a good run, and my next generation will prosper. My next generation will prosper. And so we're in a season, right? We're in a season where God is opening doors, and, and you can almost sense. You can almost sense the move of God where, where you, can, you can almost feel like in, in every interaction, even in my personal life, there are just conversations that, that I don't even realize are, are just so god 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 given where someone who I haven't talked to in years calls me and says, hey, like, you know, I haven't been to a church in a while, but can we hang out, you know? There's something happening. There's something happening and there's a hungry world, but we have to be careful. We have to be careful. And that's where Solomon comes in. You know, it's so, it's so strange and God is very specific with it. God says in 1 Chronicles 22 and 9 that, 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 David, you know, you don't have to worry. Your son is going to, ha is going to be in a time of peace. He's gonna, he's, there's going to be rest. He's going to be a man of rest, he says. There's going to be quietness. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. You know, your prayers, your intercession, the times we spent together, David, the time you spent knowing me is not gone in vain, and your next generation will prosper your next generation will have all the tools for revival, but it will forever be up to them to use them. And the thing that's so great is that whenever there's sacrifice, there's always revival. You have the death of Jesus, and after that, you, you have the fall of the Holy Spirit, like Justin mentioned. And it almost feels so perfect, such a perfect mirror of this generation. We have the sacrifice of our elders. We have the sacrifice of our elders. And we have the tools. We just have to make sure that we use them. So if you read through Chronicles, what you find is that Solomon was an okay guy. But if you read through Kings, it, it just gets a little bit strange. You know, you find... <laughs> You find that Solomon spends seven years building the temple, 
And then he says, it's my turn. It takes 13 to build his own house. You know, it's a little bit weird. And it's almost like swept under the rug. It says that Solomon was having these encounters with God and that Solomon was worshiping God and that Solomon was, was you know, it seemed from the outside that he was pretty close to God. But there were these little moments swept under the rug that was slowly defining his character where it wasn't, I guess it wasn't really all about God. It was like 75, 25% about God in Solomon's life. First Kings 7 and 8. This is the weirdest one. What you have is, is in between, no, this is like a sandwich. So what you have is, this is right in the middle. Above this scripture, you have, you have a verse that, that has nothing to do with it. This is just sp split in there. But this is just put in there. And it says that he built a, a house for Pharaoh's daughter. And then it goes on to say about the marvelous things that Solomon did. And before this, he was talking about the marvelous things that Solomon did. But in between, in between, swept under the rug, it says, yeah, but he was, he was uh, married to the person that, that captured his, his, uh, last, his father's father and his father's father, the people that oppressed them. He was married to, 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 that, to that group of people. Strange, isn't it? Strange, isn't it, how a man that was connected to David Strange, how a man that was connected to the king lived not like the king. Swept under the rug, right? In a time of peace, given everything. And again, after this, another encounter with God. He's praising God. He's praising God and thanking God, you know? Thank you for giving me the opportunity to build the temple when my father couldn't, essentially is what he's saying. You know, thank you for allowing me to be the next generation, the next lineage, blah, blah, blah. And then that brings us back to our opening verse where, where he says, be careful. In all your knowledge, you ask me for wisdom. Be careful. You seem to be playing with it a bit, you know? You're talking to a bunch of people and you're, and you're, you're talking to Pharaoh's daughter? I thought I freed you from them. In all your wisdom that you claim to have. In all your materials that your father fought for. Be careful, Solomon, right? And this is the verse that terrified me, First Kings 9 and 11. Now Hiram, the king of Tyre, had finished Solomon with cedar trees and fir trees and gold according to all his desire. That then King Solomon gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Next verse. <clears throat> if you don't have it, that's fine. But essentially what happens is that Hiram is made upset and he says, I will call this place Kabul. And Kabul translates to dirty. And if you read into it, the land that Solomon actually gave the king of Tyre wasn't even his. And that they never actually conquered it. Solomon, the son 
of David, expected to be abundant like his father, couldn't provide land for a man that loved his father. We have to be careful, Solomon. In a time of peace, and you claimed to be wise, but had no fruit, Solomon. Following this is 1 Kings 10. You have the queen of Sheba that asked Solomon many questions and compliments him on everything he has. And then Solomon gives her everything. It says that he gave her everything. And she stroked his ego and that inner lust that he had for women, as we saw with Pharaoh's daughter. And he gave her everything, but couldn't give a man that loved his father anything. Solomon, we had encounters. There were moments, Solomon, where we, where the fire fell. There were moments where the fire fell and you were at a lack of words. But what happened, Solomon? You know, and he gave her all the gold and all the silver. But wasn't that what his father fought for? Wasn't that meant to glorify me, Solomon? And your father knew my heart, but you didn't. And so Solomon proved that you can be full of wisdom, but not know how to use it, right? Right. First Kings 8 and 12 shows that God did visit Solomon. God had an encounter where literally fire fell on the temple and they were at a lack of words. And so I asked this question, you know, you have, you have, and maybe it's, maybe it's a bad question, but there aren't really any bad questions. I don't know. And God blessed Solomon when he asked for wisdom. God blessed him. He said, this is a great thing. But what if he said, God, I want more of you out of everything I could have. Out of every miracle I could have out of everything I could have, out of the riches. Just show me more of you. Because there are things that I want, and there are things that, that I think I need. But in the end, like Justin said, that strange fire. That strange fire. So I ask you, because we're going somewhere and God wants to bring so many people here. God wants to bring people who are suffering from mental illness. Because that's the main thing today. That's the battle that our generation fights. Our generation doesn't even know who they are. This is the way that I heard it. But I, I heard that, that, that this generation needs, needs validation from the internet. No. 
God is, God is planning something so big and so powerful that we can't even explain. And we feel it. We feel the hunger of the people because they're asking, when will this suffering end? When will this conflict end? Everyone's at each other's throat. We have the answer. We have a peace beyond understanding. We have the presence of God here. And we've been talking about revival, Pastor. But I believe it's around the corner. We can't afford to be a Solomon generation. We can't afford, we can't afford to let the prayers of our elders be in vain. I'm hungry for revival. In the words of my colleagues, how bad do you want revival? How bad do you want it? Do you want it bad enough? That when you go to pray, you say, yes, I want my family saved. But if it isn't the way that you want it, God, then I won't have it. Yes, I want revival. I want to see powerful services. But I want to see them done the way you want them. I want to see a miracle. But if it's not the way you would have done it, I don't want to see it. I want to be close to your heart, like David. I want to be close to your heart, like David was. I want to know you before I get what I want. I want to be like the elders and know you through any circumstance. I want to know you. I want to know you. Revival is around the corner. Revival is around the corner. You can feel it. You can sense it. And I'm hungry for it. We're hungry for it. And we can't afford to be a Solomon generation. He is in there as an example. He is in there as an example and a warning. But that's not going to be us. That's not going to be us. It can't be us. It cannot be us. It cannot be us. It cannot be us. So can you hear it? If you close your eyes and you said, God, nothing else matters right now. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? Do you see loved ones being saved? Do you see loved ones being saved? Not the way you want it, but the way God would have it. When you close your eyes, do you feel the heart of God break? When you close your eyes and you hear someone suffering from an encounter in the world, does your heart break? God wants to do so many beautiful things for us.
but I feel like if there's anything that he's ever wanted in this generation where we have everything, it's for him to become everything to us again. Because when he becomes everything to us, everything else comes in suit. Revival comes in suit. When your feet step into a coffee store, someone senses that it's not just another person, but it's you, God. The second you step into your workplace, prayed up and fasted up, seeking his face, they say, I know this person has more than good words and a good voice, but the love of God is behind them. This is going to be us, church. Picture it now. This is going to be us. We're going to see people that have never stepped in a church building step in this church building because they saw you walking down the road and they said, I got to know who this man serves. I claim that over all of you. It doesn't only have to happen in Africa. It doesn't only have to happen in third world countries. But if we're hungry enough to know the heart of God, everything comes in suit. Everything comes in suit. So echoing the words of my beautiful best friend, no more strange fire, no more agendas, no more coming to the church unfasted, no more coming to the church and prayed. It's, it, this goal is too, too, too much. It's too worth it to see everyone loving God. It's too much to give up for a moment of our agenda again. I know I'm somber, but I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. <laughs>